0: So I'm guessing that very few of you, whether you're a hockey fan or not, have heard of the player Dave Semenko. There might be one guy that knows him, and maybe that's, that's Kendall. Do you know Dave Semenko? Okay. Kendall knows. Well, Dave Semenko is not a very highly skilled hockey player. He never broke any records in his career of nearly 600 games. He only managed to score 60 goals. He was never chosen for an all-star team, and, and people weren't flocking to, to interview him after, after the game or to get his autograph. On the other hand, I'm sure that most of you, even if you've never watched a single hockey game in your life, have heard of Dave Semenko's longtime teammate, Wayne Gretzky. Gretzky is perhaps the greatest player to ever play the game far better At hockey than Dave Semenko. And yet, it was Gretzky himself who admitted that Semenko was one of the most valuable players on his team. When Gretzky won a brand new car as the MVP of the All-Star Game, he gifted this car to Semenko in gratitude. Now, why, why would he do that? Well, you see, Semenko, though he wasn't a goal scorer, Though he'll never go down in the history books as an all-time great, he had a very crucial role to play on the Edmonton Oilers. He was what we call an enforcer. You see, it was Semenko's job to protect Gretzky. He was the on-ice bodyguard of Gretzky. If guys were going to try and pull cheap and, and dirty shots against Gretzky, they could expect to get a knuckle sandwich from Semenko on the next shift. See, he had a particular role that he was given. His job was not to go and try and score all of the goals, but to protect the guy who was to go and score all of the goals. And when Semenko played his role, and, and when Gretzky played his role, the team succeeded. In fact, they, they went on to win two Stanley Cups together. And my point in, in sharing this is that when, when players understand and play according to the, the roles that they have been given, the team succeeds. So if a goalie starts trying to play forward, the team is going to fail. If a forward starts trying to play goalie, the team is going to fail. Both of those roles are important. Both of them are, are needed for the team to win, but you must stick to your role if the team is going to thrive, you might be asking, how does all of that relate to marriage and the topic that we are looking at? Well, you see, in marriage, just like a sports team, there's different positions, there's, there's different roles that God has given for husbands and wives to play. No one role is more crucial than the other. In fact, they rely upon each other and complement one another in order to form what God has designed as a, as a thriving and complete marriage. And these roles that, that God has given, they're not, they're not conventional. They're not something that, that we make up or that we choose. We don't get to treat the roles like a, a sign-up list where you can go and put your name under the roles that, that you decide that, that you want to, to fulfill and the responsibilities that, that look nice to you. No, these These roles, God has given us from the very beginning of creation. God has designed the husband and the wife to each have a a defined, gender-specific, timeless, and and cross-cultural set of roles, duties, and responsibilities within a godly marriage. And this shouldn't cause us to be saddened. This should actually bring us a whole lot of comfort See, God has not instituted marriage and then said to us, okay, go and figure it out on your own. No, God has, has told us, and he is the one who is the fount of all wisdom, the fount of all knowledge. He's the one who's created us and knows our, our, inner, our, our inner beings and knows how we, how we function and how we work. And he has told us, this right here is how you do it. You want your marriage to flourish? This is how your marriage can flourish. I know I'm the one who made it that way. And so this morning, that's going to be our our goal. We're going to look at at how God has, has made marriage, how God has made husbands and wives to function within marriage. And hopefully, the Lord will use that to grow and to improve our marriages. And so you can open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. We read this sermon a little bit last week, and you might have been disappointed that I didn't dive into it a little bit more, Uh, and that's because uh, for for this sermon, that's that's what we're going to be doing. Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 23. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, Originally I intended to do one sermon on the roles of husbands and wives together, but there was just just too much. Good information coming from God's word that I wanted to communicate. So so I've decided to break it up now into two sermons, which means that you're only getting half of the story today. And you need to make sure that you're back here next week, same time, to get the second half of the story so you can have the complete picture. And my goal with these next two sermons, if I'm honest, is to not pull any punches. To give you the cold, hard truth of God's Word. To to find the tender spots and to to poke at them. To to not be provocative for the sake of of being provocative, but for the sake of love. I think our, our culture and even the Christian church as a whole has completely drifted away from God's design for marriage. And sometimes the answer to that is, is a light and encouragement or a light rebuke that is needed. But other times, what we need most is for a friend who loves us enough to smack us over the head with God's Word and to bring us back into reality and out of our sin. I hope to be that friend this morning. And so as we study this, it's important then that you put down your guard that if a few punches are being thrown, that you, you let them land, that you set aside your excuses, that you don't focus on your spouse's behavior, that you focus on yours, and that you humble yourself to the word of God and be willing to change where it is you have failed, out of love for your spouse, but more importantly, out of love for your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And at the end, if you feel... Beaten down, like you've taken too many punches. Don't remain discouraged. You see, if you are in Christ, all of your sin, all of these failings that are going to be revealed in your life, they have been covered by the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the goal here is not to condemn you this morning, the goal is to convict you so that you can see your sin, that you can repent of it, and that you can then begin to walk in the forgiveness of Christ and the new life that he has purchased for you. And so, since us men are the heads of our households, we get to go first and get to model to our wives how we humbly respond to the word of God. We're going to look at two main roles this morning of husbands, two main duties, two main responsibilities that we have in marriage. And those two are that we are called to lead our wives and we are called to love our wives. If you are a husband, that is your call for marriage. To lead and to love. To be a, a leader and to be a lover. And so first, the husband is to lead his Wife, Look at verse 23 from our passage. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So Paul here calls the husband the, the head of his wife. Now what does Paul mean by, by head? Well to answer that question, we have to look at what Paul is comparing The the husband and the wife too. And we see that that is uh, the headship of Christ that he calls us to look to. And we see from scripture that Christ's headship ultimately refers to Christ's authority over the church. For example, just a few chapters earlier, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this about Christ. God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. And so Christ being head over The church means that Christ has authority over her. And this point is further emphasized with the very nature of of the term submission. The church submits to the authority Christ has over her. And so when we think of of headship in in marriage, it carries this same meaning. A husband is the head of his wife, meaning that he has a God-ordained authority over her. Now, one thing that includes is this idea of responsibility. You see, with authority comes responsibility, which includes culpability if things go wrong. Let me, let me give you an analogy that, that I heard that I found helpful and, and to help explain this. Let's say that you have a, a ship. And on this ship, you have a young sailor who goes and he disobeys his orders and he runs the ship aground in the middle of the night. The captain uh, who was, was sleeping as this happened and who had done nothing wrong and nothing to contribute to the young sailor's actions. Then we ask the question, who, who is the one who bears responsibility for what happened? Who is the one who's going to have to answer to the higher-ups for the crashed ship? Well, it's the captain. I mean, the captain, he wasn't guilty. The young sailor was guilty with his, his foolish ways. But the captain still bears responsibility because that was his ship to lead. And the same is true for marriage. Husbands, you are the captain of your ship. You are the head of your wife. And therefore, you bear responsibility for what is happening within your marriage. If your marriage has problems, if your wife is in sin... You are responsible, whether you're, whether you're guilty or not. Part of being the head of the family is not only to see that you're doing your job in marriage, but to see that your wife is also doing hers. And if she isn't, you bear responsibility. I'll give you an example to illustrate. Once I had a, a difficult conversation with a man where I had to bring up some, some inappropriate behavior of his wife. And his response to me upon hearing that was, what has this got to do with me? If you've got a problem, bring it up with my wife. But is that what what biblical headship is? Is that what biblical headship entails? If if your wife is, is walking in sin, it has everything to do with you, not nothing to do with you. You're her head and her leader. And you're culpable when things are going out of order. When when the crew is not acting on the ship as the crew should be acting on the ship. And you might hear that and think, "Wow, that is a big responsibility placed upon husbands." And you're exactly right. That is a big responsibility placed upon husbands. And what it should do is strike within us a, a holy fear. You know, it's it's an immense calling. But rather than being crushed by the immensity of this calling, what it should do is cause us to, to humble ourselves and to run to Christ for strength and power to do what he's called us to do. And that is to lead our wives. And then one last thing I want to, to, to highlight about headship and leadership uh, for husbands. And I think that is, is very important that we must never forget is that as we are the captain, as we are the leader, as we are the head, we are to be leading as servant leaders. To be leading as servant leaders. You see, that was Christ's model of headship for us. In Matthew chapter 20, the disciples uh, of Jesus, they're, they're sitting there and they're having this conversation and, and they're talking about you know, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. A couple of them even enlist their mother to come and, and beg Jesus that they could sit at the right hand and the left hand of of Jesus. They want to be these great and wonderful, wonderful leaders of God's church. And Jesus responds and he rebukes them, saying, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and so i've told you husbands this morning that you have authority but having authority doesn't mean that you become an authoritarian jesus possesses all authority over his bride the church and yet he uses that authority that he's been given not to domineer and to abuse his bride but to serve her and to love her and the same goes for us as husbands. We lead with the best interests of our wife in mind, not our own. We lead with a desire to meet her needs and to love her above ourself, not to not to meet our needs. We lead as servants, just as our Lord led as servants and gave us an example of how we lead in our marriages. And so then bringing it all back... We talk about this idea of headship. What what is biblical headship in marriage? Biblical headship is the husband's divine calling to use his God-given authority and responsibility to faithfully lead his wife in a Christ-like manner. That's what it means to to be the leader and the head of your family. Now all of us here who are husbands, we need to embrace that role. And something to quickly note, uh, that being the head of your household is not something uh, that you strive towards, it's something that you already are. You see, you don't, you don't become the head of your household. Paul says that you are the head of your household. And so you are in a position of inescapable leadership. You might want to run, you might want to abdicate your role as, as head to your wife and, and let her wear the pants as the saying goes, but all you're doing in that case, you're you're not making your wife the head of your family, you're still the head, it just means you're a lousy and you're a wimpy head, and you're doing a disservice to your wife and to your family. And so we don't strive towards being the heads of our homes, what we do is we strive towards being better heads of of our homes. And so with that, now let's get into some application. What, is it, what does it look like to be, a, to be a better head, to lead your wife well? And I've boiled it down to two main things to, to help you remember. I know us men uh, like things nice and simple. And, and the two things that we are called to do to lead our wives well is to provide and to protect. To be a provider and to be a protector. And let's, let's look at what that entails now. So first... To provide, Now, there are various ways in which we provide for our wives. The first one that you probably thought of when I said husbands are to provide is that we ought to provide for our wives physically. First Timothy 5 verse 8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so husbands need to provide for the physical and material needs of their wives. The picture of Scripture we have is that husbands are the primary breadwinners of the family. Making sure that the money is is coming in from your hard work and your family has their physical needs being met. Paul goes so far as to say that if you fail to do this, you're worse than an unbeliever. And so there is this stern call that we need to take seriously to not be sluggards. We as husbands cannot be sluggers relying upon our wives to bring in all the money, but we need to go out, we need to work hard, and we need to provide the necessities for our family. Now, providing the physical needs for family doesn't mean a a trip to Disneyland every two years. It doesn't mean that your wife needs to have a a Gucci bag. Uh, It means providing for the actual and genuine uh, needs and necessities of your family. But if husband thinks that once he puts the food on the table, once he's got a nice little buffer in the bank account, that his job of providing is done, then he is a mistaken man. You see, a second and equally important way a husband provides for his wife is through providing direction to the home and family. We read about the requirements of an elder in 1 Timothy 3. And we're told that a husband must manage his household well. And the idea of managing and leading involves providing a direction for the family. You've got certain goals. You've got certain expectations. You've got a certain mission in mind for your family that you want to accomplish with your marriage and family. And you're going to then lead your family in that direction. Now, in order to do that, communication with your wife is essential. You need to both speak clearly with your wife about what your your goals and expectations are, but you also need to listen to your wife. You see, if you're upset about about the affairs of your family, thinking, our family just, just isn't lined up how I want it to be, my marriage is not lined up, how I want it to be. Maybe your wife isn't, isn't doing the things that you had envisioned when you got married. It could be in large part because there's, there's a breakdown of communication. You know, your wife might not know what it is you expect of her in marriage because you never talk to her or you never provide her with direction. And then when you do talk to her, you need to make sure that you listen to your wife when she responds and gives you feedback. Husbands often undervalue their wives' wisdom. You see, your wife has got boots on the ground when it comes to the home. She probably understands the children more than you do. She probably understands how much money that you need to budget towards clothing and towards food and towards school supplies than you do. See, you're the captain of the ship, but you have a very wise first mate. And any captain who doesn't listen to his wise first maid is a fool. And so you provide your wife with direction, but you make sure you also listen to her wisdom and what she has to say to you. You need to make sure there's an open two-way communication there. And then the third way that husbands provide, and this one is very important, perhaps most important, is through spiritual leadership of the family. We read in verse 26 of our passage that a husband is to cleanse his his wife with the washing of water and with the word. And then in verse 29, we read that he is to, to nourish and to cherish his wife. See, the husband is to provide spiritual leadership to his wife. Now, in order to do that, you need to make sure that you yourself are in a good place spiritually. You can't lead your wife in holiness if you aren't pursuing it yourself. You can't lead your wife in prayer if the only time you pray is 10 seconds before you eat dinner. You can't lead your wife and instruct her from the Word of God if you have no idea what the Word of God says because you never study it. You know, thinking on this, this last point even, I know that husbands need to be in the Word more. Biblical illiteracy and theological competence are, are, are at a low in the church. Men don't just read men just aren't aren't reading their Bibles today or studying theology like they used to. And that's terribly sad. Because we're called as men to to wash our wives with the word, to be the spiritual leaders, to to teach them, to counsel them, to encourage and nourish them from the word. But then our wives are sitting there spiritually malnourished because we're we're too lazy to wake up early and read our Bible. Or we've got We've got better, more fun, more important things to do than read our Bible. And we're failing to feed the sheep that God has entrusted to us as the shepherds of our family. And in the Bible, it tells wives that if they want to be taught to go and to listen to their husbands. But many wives say, my husband doesn't know what the Bible says. I can't go and listen to him and be taught by him. And it's really quite sad. Because women are not growing in the Word and growing as as believers because their husbands are pathetic examples of what it means to know the Word of God. And this leads then to another way that you provide spiritual leadership to your wife. Not just through your words, but through your actions. Is your life an example for your wife to follow? I mean, could you say to your wife, as Paul says to the Corinthian church, follow me, imitate me as I imitate Christ? Or is your spiritual life not really something worth imitating. You know, are are you an example of someone who who loves God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Someone who is slow to anger, slow to speak and quick to listen, who is who is quick to repent when you realize that you're in the wrong. Someone who who sees the value of prayer, someone who who leads and initiates the process of of reconciliation with your wife when conflict has arisen. Someone who embodies the, the gifts of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Is that you? You are the leader of your family. And your wife should be able to look at you as an example to follow in these areas. And so, husbands, we are called to be the providers for our wife in all of these areas physically, with direction, vision, spiritually. And we need to do so if we are to lead well and to glorify God. So, that's the first subpoint of the first point. We lead by providing. Second, we lead by protecting your wife. And this is seen. In Christ's protection of his bride. See, Christ not only protected his church from the righteous wrath of God when he gave his life as a substitute in our place. But he now watches over and protects his church from the various enemies that would seek to attack her or lead her astray. And the husband's role is the exact same. You know, of course, this means that, that the husband is to protect his wife physically. I don't care if your wife is a black belt in karate. If a burglar comes into the house, you do not send her down. You go, and you, and, and maybe she'll have to save the day and, and rescue you, but you are the one who goes to protect your wife. But it also means, and I think primarily, that you are, you are to be the protector of your wife spiritually. I think the imagery of, of husbands being... Being a watchman of their family is, is really helpful for us. You know, this idea that we are, we are to keep an eye on what is going on inside and outside the castle walls. You should be aware of the shows that your wife is watching on TV or Netflix. You should be aware of the, the social media influencers that she's, she's following. You should, you should be aware of the books that she's reading and that are shaping her thoughts and her theology. And aware of the people that she's hanging out with. As a watchman, you should know these things. Be aware of them. And not in some type of like controlling way where you you micromanage everything that she listens to and reads. and, And you're constantly looking over her shoulder as she's sending text messages to her friends. But in an intimate enough way that you're aware of the ungodly influences that might be leading her astray. For example, if, if your wife comes home with a new book and she tells you, I just love this book, I'm, I'm learning so much. You don't just say, oh, that, that's great, honey. Go ahead and, 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 and keep reading it. I, I love that you're enjoying that book. No, you, you show an interest. You, you ask what the book is about. You, know, you, you maybe have to go and, and, and look up the book on the internet and see what it's about. See who the author is. Maybe it's some really sketchy author. And your wife is being influenced in a negative way. You're to be a a watchman, a a protector of your wife. And then circling back to what I said about our responsibility as husbands, how we bear responsibility. See, we're going to give a reckoning as husbands for the spiritual state of our wives. And so we need to be heavily invested and concerned for our wives' growth and holiness in the Lord. And be willing to to rebuke and correct in love, if necessary. And so with that first point that we are called to lead, there's there's a lot packed in there, a lot for you to chew on, hopefully a lot for you to to think on and and see areas where you can improve. Husbands are called to lead, to lead in their marriages, and that's going to entail providing and protecting your wife. If you're not doing that, it's time that you start doing that. Now moving on to the second role of men in marriage, and that is to love. Men, true men, are leaders and lovers of their wife. Someone who tries to lead his wife without loving his wife will fail. His wife will be miserable, his children will be miserable, his marriage will be miserable, and his relationship with the Lord will be miserable. A husband must lead with love. And in our passage, the type of love that he must lead with is defined in two ways. The first way, we see that a husband must love as Christ loves the church. Look at verses 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, So that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. See if you're ever wondering. How should I love my wife? Well look at the example of how Christ loves his church. And you'll see throughout scripture that he loves her in many and various ways. And I've got a few here that I'm going to read. And I want you to reflect as I'm reading these on, on whether this describes your relationship with your wife, your attitude towards your wife, how you love your wife. We see that Christ pursues his wife and he delights in his wife. He cherishes his wife and he adorns his wife. He corrects his wife and he forgives his wife. He speaks with his wife, and he listens to his wife. He's patient with her, and he's tender with her. He satisfies her, and he gives his life for her. See, that's the model right there that we are to follow as husbands. And I know it's a difficult task, and I know it's a high standard that's been set, but it is what God has called us to, and it's what Christ will empower us to do if we humbly ask him. And quickly, I should say, just in case there's any excuses flying around in your mind, I would love my wife. I would cherish my wife. I would adorn my wife. I would listen to my wife. But my wife is undeserving of all that. My wife has all of these problems, this long list. I can't do those things. But you know what? Christ did all of these things when his wife, his bride, was undeserving. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Christ didn't, didn't die for you because he's like, oh, this, this guy, he's, he's just an awesome person. And well, of course I'm going to die for him. Look how awesome he is. Look how much he deserves this. No, no. You are a filthy, rotten sinner, an enemy of God, and yet God poured out his love upon you. You see, the command for husbands is to love your wives, not love your wives when they deserve it. We love our wives as Christ loved the church. But then Paul continues on. He says, not only do we love our wives as Christ loved the church, but we love our wives in a second way, and that's seen in verses 28 and 29. In the same way, husbands... Should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. See, husbands are to love their wives as they love their own bodies. You might notice that that's essentially the second greatest commandment that we should love our neighbor as ourselves, and it's applied to marriage. And you know who your closest neighbor is? Your closest neighbor is your wife. And you need to love your wife as you love yourself. See, we spend a lot of time and effort and money on ourselves and the things that we like to do. You know, making sure our needs are are met and that we're in a good place. Well, Paul says that that should be your attitude towards your wife. Do unto her what you would have done Unto you. Look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Now are you are you all good to fork over a, a ton of cash to buy new tools or to do an upgrade on your your truck? But when it comes to your wife getting something, all of a sudden you're you're Mr. Money Saviour and Mr. Frugal? And that's not love first of all, that's hypocrisy. Second of all, that's not loving your wife as you love yourself. Now just as we looked at some practical applications of how to lead our wives, we're going to now look at some practical ways that we can love our wives. First, you love your wife in a sacrificial way. You love your wife in a sacrificial way. Christ's love was sacrificial love. See, it cost Christ something. It wasn't, it, it wasn't something that he, he just did out of convenience. You know, I was on my way to earth already. I may as well go and die on the cross. No, he went out of his way to love his bride. And that means that we need to do the same. And so are you sacrificing to love your wife? Are you only doing nice stuff when it's convenient for you? Do you give up the valuable time of your day to to talk with your wife? Or is she someone who just gets, gets your leftovers? Are you willing to put in the work that is required to change in areas of your life that need change or is that just you know, too hard for you or it's going to cost too much? Imagine if our Savior said that. It's too hard. It's going to cost me too much. How would we feel if that was his attitude? We need to love our wife in a, in a sacrificial way. The second way that we, we love our wives is, is in a proper way. And what I mean by that is that we need to love our wives in a way that they will receive love. We can have this tendency to love people how we receive love, but people feel love differently, and they feel loved differently. And You might, you might not need to, as a husband, to hear the words, I love you, from your spouse very often, to feel loved by your spouse. But it would be wrong to assume that that's true for your wife, you know, your wife may feel the most loved when you say these things to her or when you spend time with her rather than you going and, and working extra hours so that she can have a few extra nicer things. You might think that that's loving your wife, but that's not actually what she needs. And so we need to love our wives in, in a proper way. And, and that can be abused, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but we need to, our interest should be, I want to love my wife how, how she needs to be, to be loved in the proper way. The third way that we love our wives, and this is related to the last one, is that we love them in an understanding way. So a sacrificial way, a proper way, an understanding way. 1 Peter 3 commands husbands to live with your wives in an understanding way. And a wife who does not feel understood by her husband is not going to feel loved by them. And we understand our wives by being aware of their needs Emotional, physical, intellectual, social, sexual, spiritual needs. We are aware of those and then we seek to to satisfy them. Now some needs of your wife might be be ungodly desires that she has. Or some of them might be good desires that are okay to have, but all of a sudden they, they take the place of an idol in her heart. Your wife is also a, a sinner and is going to have m- disoriented needs. And so then wives, it's a point for you. You need to be evaluating whether, whether your needs, whether the things that you're, you're expecting of your husband are, are actually biblical. And be sure that your needs don't all of a sudden move into the category of demands. You know, I have this desire for something maybe good. It becomes a need in my life. I'm not getting that need, so now it becomes a demand in my life, you must give me this, and then it moves to punishment. My husband's not giving me this, so now he's got to pay for that because he's not meeting my needs. Your needs, wives, in in marriage is, is not the main goal of your marriage. Your sanctification is, which is going to include contentment, even if your husband is not doing the best job he can to meet your needs. But that doesn't take away from the fact, just because wives may have some, some wrong and disoriented needs just as husbands might, there are still many genuine needs that we as husbands need to, to understand of our wives and we need to meet. Take, for example, uh, your wife's relational needs. You know, a typical scenario in a household is that the wife has been home with the kids all day, taking care of them, maybe schooling them. And then the husband comes home from a a hard day of work, and the wife asks the question, tell me about your day. And what many men will respond with is, is good. And I can almost guarantee you that that is not the answer that your wife is looking for. Your wife has been hanging out with children all day, and she finally has time to talk with an actual adult, and you're going to give her a one-worder? That's, that's not understanding your wife. That's not understanding your wife. Now, now, all women are different, but I can't imagine that it's probably true that most of the wives here feel that their husbands don't talk with them enough. Most wives want to talk more with their husbands. And not while you're sitting down watching a, a TV show together, not while you're, you're there on your phone, not while, not even while. This is hard for me to say, while you're playing a board game. Your wife wants, wants you to sit there with her, with no distractions, nothing else, for you guys to just talk. To talk for the purpose of talking. Your wife wants to, to know you. She wants to, 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 to share a part of herself with you and to have you share part of, of yourself with her. You know, I know many men that can can go and, and talk with the boys over cigars and whiskey for hours, but when it comes to sitting down and talking to their wife for an hour, even, even 20 minutes, they can't do it. They don't know what to talk about. It's, it's crickets. And it's really quite sad because our, our wives are, are meant to be our, our closest and deepest relationship, but that is never going to form if you won't sit down with your wife And listen to her and share with her and have meaningful conversations. And so maybe that's your biggest takeaway from this sermon. That you start scheduling in time to talk with your wife. And not leftover time, actual good time, where you'll sit and you'll focus on her. And you'll be sure that you engage in the conversation. Not just letting her talk away and and saying, okay, what's next, what's next? No, talk and love your wife and understand her and her needs so that you can better love her. And then the fourth and final way that we love our wives is that we honor and we cherish her. We honor and we cherish her. We're told in verse 29 that husbands are to nourish and cherish their wives. And then in 1 Peter 3, which I quoted earlier, that husbands are to honor their wives. You see, wives should feel very special and respected by their husbands. You are to treat her with, with tenderness and with chivalry and respect and courtesy. People around you should, should know that you love your wife by how you treat her, compliment her, and honor her in front of others. I know that as I was, as I was working on this, I know that this is, is an area that I really need to work on in my life. I had to come up. From the basement as I was writing this and, and repent to my wife. There's been too many times when she's been the butt end of, of a joke or, or maybe I've corrected her uh, when she said something wrong in front of everyone rather than in private, bringing embarrassment and dishonor upon her in front of others. That's not loving my wife. That's not cherishing my wife. That's not respecting and honoring her. We need to make sure our wives feel like valuable gems that we delight in, not just a, a dirty dish rag that's helpful for practical reasons. Now, start expressing appreciation more to your wife. Start praising her generously and in, in large doses. You can never compliment your wife too much. Now, your wife should never have to say to you, Do you love me? Or, Did you notice what I did? Because you, as a husband who is responsible for for nourishing, cherishing, and honoring your wife, should be looking for areas in her life to encourage and congratulate her and make her feel that way. Well, there's much more that I could say on these topics of leading and loving your wife. You know, some of you wives are like, yes, say it! Uh, But I think I'm going to, to end there. But I hope that the conversation doesn't end here. In fact, as we close, I I want to leave all of the the men, all of the husbands here with a, a challenge and an exercise. So I want you to prayerfully contemplate your relationship with your wife. How are you doing at being the leader of your wife? How are you doing at being the lover of your wife? Are you the husband that God is calling you to be from his word? So I want you to prayerfully contemplate that. And and I want you to then sometime this week, at home, write down a list of where you have failed as a husband. And be reflective and be open and be honest with yourself. And then once you've done that, pray over that list that you have. Confess those failings to the Lord rejoice and give thanks that your Lord and Savior has forgiven you by dying upon the cross but then don't just stop there take that list that you've made and now go and confess those things to your wife you've sinned against God but you've also sinned against your wife and ask for her forgiveness then perhaps the hardest part I want you to ask your wife is there anything on this list that I'm missing? Is there anything that I'm missing? And when she tells you, and she probably will, don't, don't rush to defense. Don't, don't start firing back at her. Well, I do, I do that because you do this. No, humble yourself. Take it like a man. Take it like a man and begin seeking change in those areas. I really, I really do think that that's going to be a helpful exercise to seeing some areas where, where you can really grow and your marriage can grow. See, when we examine all that God requires of his husbands, even as I give you that task, it might seem daunting. It might look like there is this great and high mountain that we are unable to climb. And quite honestly, it's true. It is a great mountain. And I don't think any of us here can do any of the things that we've talked about on our own. The good news of the gospel, the good news of our of our Savior is that that we are not alone. We are never alone. The same power that raised Christ from the grave is the same power that's alive in us today. And so humble yourself, rely upon the power of of Christ through the Spirit that he has given you, and you can. You can love and lead your wife as we have talked about today. I want to finish with these last words of encouragement from Paul in Philippians 4 verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we see that there is a high and difficult and noble calling that you have put upon all of us as husbands. And Lord, I preach these words not as a man who is, who is perfect, not as a man who has led and loved my wife, as Scripture commands me to. And I pray, Lord, that as I leave from here, you would would change my heart to better conform my life and my leadership and my love to the Word of God. And I pray, Lord, that your Spirit would strengthen me to do that. I admit, God, that I I am weak and I am unable, but I also hold fast to the promise that you are not weak, that you are a strong God and that you are a God who is able. And so I pray, Lord, that you would change marriages today so you're changing of the hearts of husbands, leaders of their household. And I pray, Lord God, that we would reap the wonderful and beautiful benefits of a marriage rightly ordered after God's design. We thank you, God, for your grace. We thank you that you cover us in our failings and now give us the wisdom, and the strength to walk in that grace. In Jesus' name.